name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. talking about the kingdom of God, uh, the kingdom already but not yet, if you're our guest. And I want to take my cue from, uh, from this sister, and I want to talk about our uh, rights and responsibilities as citizens in the kingdom of God. And uh, I don't know about you, but when I think about the idea of rights, it's hard for me to embrace the idea of rights in the kingdom of God. And let me tell you why. Because when I was a young Christian, I was taught that I needed to surrender my rights to Christ. That in other words, I was a bondservant of the Lord Jesus, and I didn't have any rights. So the idea of, you know, the rights in the kingdom of God, I kind of that's kind of hard for me to embrace. So if you would, and by the way, I still believe we're bondservants of the Lord Jesus. So And, and there's a sense in which we have surrendered all of our rights. So I want to change the idea of rights, and I want to talk about blessings of being citizens in the kingdom of God, or I want to talk about those gifts that God has given us as part uh, of his, uh, his kingdom, because indeed, God has endowed us as citizens of the kingdom of God. God has endowed us with certain kindnesses, certain affirmations, if you would, and uh, he said, listen, he's never going to take those away from us. Now, I also believe, again, like Dr. McCoy was saying, that we have responsibilities in the kingdom of God as well. And, and so this is going to be a two-part talk, if you would. I'm going to talk about the blessings of citizenship, and then I'm going to talk about the responsibilities of citizenship. That's what we're going to do. Everybody with me? So we're going to talk about the blessings of citizenship. And indeed, there are so many things. We could talk, seriously, we could talk for many Sundays on just the blessings of, of being a citizen in the kingdom of God. But what I'd like to do this morning is just focus on three. And here's my goal. My goal this morning, and I'm already smiling because my goal is, man, I'm hoping when you leave today, you're going to be really encouraged and really blessed. Uh, again, I'm probably not going to say anything that you haven't heard before, but I'm, I'm praying that God by his spirit will just take these things and just sort of kind of rivet them to our heart. These are the blessings that belong to us as, as being a citizen in the kingdom of God. Here's my first one. Here's the first one I want to share with you. The gift is that as part of the kingdom of God, you have the gift of God's presence. In other words, that God is is with you and he is in you. This is one of the promises that God gives us, one of those, those endowments that he places upon us when we bow our knee to King Jesus and we say, we're a part of your kingdom. We want to be a part of your kingdom. This is what he gives us. John 14, 23, Jesus said, if anyone loves me, they will obey me. Then my father will love them and we will come to them and live in them. So God has promised that somehow or another when I become a part of a citizen in his kingdom, he comes to live within me. And we know he does that by his spirit. Now again, that's not all that clarifying, is it? But it's by his spirit that he comes to dwell within my life. Paul says that, that we're really considered the temple of God. You know, in the Old Testament, there was a building. Like, we have a building now. We call it the church. It's really not the church. We're the church. And, uh, but, but just like God dwelt in the Old Testament temple, I mean, his presence actually physically 
placed itself there. God says he lives in us. And so Paul says we're the temple of God. And he tells Timothy this. He says, hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us who dwells within us. In the New Testament, this is a promise from God that he is going to live in us. But listen, it gets even better. He's promised that he's never going to leave us. All right, listen. Here's Paul again. Keep your life free. He's talking to Timothy or Titus. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. I'll never leave you. Or abandon you. And, and this isn't just a New Testament promise, everyone. This is something that goes all the way back into the, into the First Testament, into the first covenant God made with Israel. And, and again, this is a covenant with this true Israel. But here's what he says. He says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. I, I, I tell you often about my struggles and my, my trying to understand things, and, and I've told you this many times. I struggle with understanding the fact that God is omniscient and all-powerful and all-good, right, and the fact that people suffer. I mean, I, I don't get it. You know, some people, some people say, well, it, God's got a plan, and all suffering is God's working out his plan, and, and that very well may be. All I know is I, I struggle with that, okay? But here's what I do not struggle with. I do not struggle with this. In the midst of my suffering and difficulties, I got a promise from God. He's with me. And he's never leaving me. He's never abandoning me. I, I don't get why, why people suffer. I don't get why there's so much pain. I don't, you know, we just come off of Auschwitz, 75 years of their freedom. I don't get why that stuff happens. But this I do know that God is never going to leave us. He's going to be with us always. And that's a promise. That's a gift that's given to us as citizens of the kingdom of God. Many of you will know Barry, most of you maybe not, but Barry Fry was a part of our family for many years, and today he and his wife Candace, they, they live in, in Alabama, and here recently, those of us that know Barry, we know what happened to him, he got cancer, he got it in his jaw, and they had to take a lot, a big portion of his jaw out, and then a few weeks ago, he was having heart issues, he went in and he had like a 65% blockage in his, in his heart, and so now he's in the hospital dealing with that, and while he's in the hospital dealing with that, his wife Candace has a major stroke, I think we told you all that last week, so the part of her brain has died, and, and, the, and they're saying she's never going to be able to walk again, and, and so man, why did that happen to Barry and Candace? I mean, is it because God's got some plan that he's working out, and, and so God made that happen as part of his plan? It, it could be. I'm not trying to say it's not. Or is that just happening because we live in a broken world, and, and so Barry and Candace are, are suffering from this broken world we live in? I don't know, but here's what I do know. And Barry, if you listen to this, this is for you. God's never going to leave Barry that's the promise. He's never going to abandon Candace. And no matter how difficult and no matter how much they suffer, Jesus is with them in it. And King David first told us this in Psalm 23 when King David said, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what? Finish it. You are with me. Thou art with me. If we want to use King James English, right? You are with me. 
You know, you're not going to abandon me. So when you enter the kingdom of God, here's what you get. You get the presence of God to never leave you. Here's the second thing you get. Here's a second thing you get. You get the power of God. So Jesus told his men on the day he was returning back to heaven, he said, guys, hang out here for a while because you're going to get power. You're going to get power in your Christian life. He said it like this, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And Paul would later pray for the Ephesian church, and this is what he'd pray for them. He says, I pray that you would know the immeasurable greatness of his power in us who believe according to the working of his great might. So Paul agrees, we've got power, and I hope that you would know that immeasurable power in your life. Now, There's no lack of debate among followers of Jesus as to what that power is all about. And some people say, well, that power is so that you can control the natural and you can do the supernatural, so that you can heal the sick and you can do all sorts of miracles. Now listen carefully to what I'm about to say. I do not doubt that God does supernatural things. I do not doubt that God, by his power, enables people at times to heal folks supernaturally, and that's the power of God. But I'm just being honest. I think those are exceptions, not rules. I I think that's the exception for the body of Christ and not the the given norm for all of us. I think that's why we call them miracles. But my point is not to argue that, okay, because if that's your understanding, I'm, I'm glad for you to live that out. But listen to what I believe the power of God is all about. The power of God, I believe that when it says that God says to his people in the kingdom, I'm going to give you power, I think it's this. I think it's power to live faithfully as a follower of Jesus, I think it's power to be able to live this life in this broken, sinful world and still stay connected to Jesus and still trust him and still walk out my faith in him. And I get that from Peter. Here's Peter. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and his excellence. By his power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. I honestly believe that when when the Bible says that God has given all of us power, because I think Acts 1-8 isn't just for those those 11 men or those 120 people. I really think it was for all of us. And, and I don't, and I think God empowers people to do the supernatural at times. But the promise of God, I think, is the power of God to live a godly life even when everything around you is crumbling and crushing you and you feel like I can't handle it anymore. God is saying, no, you can because my power is in you. And if you go to the Old Testament, I think Job is a great illustration of this. You talk about a man who was crushed under the weight of losing everything he owned. That's bad enough. But but then he loses all of his children in death. I, I I can't imagine. Sorry. I can't imagine Job losing all of his kids. And, and then he loses his health. 
And in the midst of all of that, now yeah, and I mean, Job doubted, and Job was frustrated, but when others were telling him, it's your fault, he was saying, no, it's not. And when his wife was saying, throw in the towel, man, God is not worth it, he was saying, yes, he is. So there was all this doubt and this frustration, but there was no abandonment of God. And I believe that's because the power of God in Job kept him connected to God. And that's what I believe is the power of God in us, that no matter how much weight you are under, you can do the unfathomable to walk with God. And as I was thinking about this, I, I, I came up with two stories, and they're, they're not modern stories, they're past stories, but they're my life stories. I mean, not my life, but they're in my lifetime. So they, when I was a young Christian, this guy that really impacted me, actually his story is, I'm sorry, his story is actually before I was born, but, but his wife's story continued on and impacted me. And I'm talking about Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. You remember them, right? They were the missionaries who came out of Wheaton and they went to Ecuador and God put on their heart to reach the Warani, Warani Indians. You remember that? And, and so Jim and Nate Saint and three other men, they made contact with the Warani and they went in and they had guns and they thought they were winning them over. And you remember it was uh, January 8th, 1956. Uh, they were killed by the Warani Indians. And you know, they never fired a shot. They never fired a shot, and, and they could have. They could have killed the Indians with their guns, but they didn't because they said, man, we know Jesus, they don't, and they were unwilling. In their journals, it said, you know, we're going to be this seed that's going to be laid down, it's going to grow forth this crop, all right? I mean, how do you do that? How do you not defend your life? Well, you do it because you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you're going to have this power to live this extraordinary Christian life in the middle of great pressure. You're going to be able to live this life and follow Jesus. And, but the real story was Elizabeth, his wife. And two years later, they made contact with two Warani women, and she and Nate Saint and their two-year-old daughter, Valerie, went to live with the Warani Indians, and Elizabeth and Rachel were able to lead that, that entire tribe to follow Jesus. And, and one of the men that killed them became like a grandfather to the children of the man that he, to the men that he killed. I mean, I mean, how does that happen? I mean, that's the power of God. Here's another story, and this is from Cecil and Betty Bird, missionaries to Zambia and Mozambique. They'd been there for 24 years. They were living in Maputo, which is the capital of Mozambique, I believe. And anyway, this night, two thugs came in, and they murder Cecil for their money, and they kill him, and... Um, and they leave. The rest of them survive. So Betty and her two remaining children that are at home uh, leave the country and return to the States. And, and here's what I want to read you. So when they get to the States, uh, here's, this is Betty. I'm just going to quote her. And this is a quote. I'll always remember, this is Betty, the day that we returned to Louisville. My oldest son had arranged a 12-passenger van from a Louisville Bible college. When he arrived, he said, Mom, listen, I wanted all of us to be together in this van before we leave the airport because I want you to know that what's happened to our dad will not turn us against God. There we were, all five children, their husbands, and a few grandchildren. And I had at that point in one, in one place with that affirmation from my son, my oldest son, that we will not turn our backs against God. We will not be angry with him. We also believe that he is in control. 
And I'll tell you that story. What gives Betty's children, her oldest son in particular, but all of them, the ability to not be angry with God, but to trust God in the midst of such suffering? It is the power of God. What you received when you trusted Christ, when you became part of the kingdom of God, is you got the presence of God to never leave you. So whatever you're going through, he's with you. And he's going to give you the power to walk through whatever happens in your life. Whatever suffering, whatever struggle you have, he's going to give you the power because you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. Here's the third and the third is the promise of God. So you know, I didn't really mean to alliterate, but it just sort of did at the beginning, right? So here's the three things God put on my heart. Tell them that as part of the kingdom, you get my presence and you get my power and you get this promise. And there's lots of promises that I could give you, but you, you probably know what my, my focus has been and will be. And this is a broad promise, but here it is. We have the promise of eternal life and life in the kingdom of God to come. We have the promise of resurrection from the dead and resurrection into eternal, unto eternal life. John 6, 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. God created Adam and Eve. You know where he put them, everybody, right? Do you remember? Where did he put them? In paradise, right? In paradise. And then when they sinned and he took their life from them, and he said, you're not going to eat of the tree of life, you're going to die. But he also did something else. He blocked them from, from paradise. And you go to the end of the book, Revelation chapter 21, and paradise is restored. And the tree of life is present. And here's the promise of God. He's going to restore paradise. And, and it, is a, it is a gift for all of you who belong to the kingdom. It is your promise. It is your gift. It is your endowment. It is your inheritance. You're going, to live, you're going to live with God in a place where there's no more sickness and no more tragedies and no more death and no more unkindnesses and no more evil and no more sin and its consequences. And as a citizen, you inherit. In uh, 2007, Luis Carlos Camara was a Portuguese aristocrat, had lots of money. And uh, he was really young, and I, I guess, I don't know why he did it, but he went to, the, went to the phone book, and he picked out 70 heirs randomly from the phone book. I don't know, maybe he had some disease, knew he'd die young, but he, he died 13 years later at the age of 42. And at the age of 42, 70 people picked randomly from a phone book, inherited his fortune, right? They had no idea they were going to inherit. They, they, it was a surprise to them. In fact, they thought it was fake at first. They were shocked, but this is not a shock to us. This is not a surprise to us. This is what God has told you from the beginning. As part of my kingdom, this is what you will inherit. My kingdom and me forever and ever. Now, so that's the blessings of citizenship. And that, that I felt like God wanted me to encourage you with. I hope you found those encouraging. But, but Dr. McCoy said, and I love this, she says, it's not just, it's not just rights, but there's responsibilities of being a part of America, right? So you have responsibilities as a citizen. We have, and, and I love what she said, you know, sometimes we just don't get it. We have responsibilities in the kingdom of God as citizens of the kingdom of God. So I want to share with you those responsibilities. Leonard Ravenhill, who was a church historian, used to quip, today's church wants to be raptured from responsibility. We don't want responsibilities. Man, I hope you'll get this responsibility, and I hope you'll take this really, really seriously. So I had intended to, to give you three responsibilities just to, you know, to make it even on either side, right? So I had decided I was going to do that, but as I began to work, only one responsibility. I want to share with you one responsibility today, okay? 
I want to share with you one, and I, and I think, I think it's the most important responsibility. So here it goes, and it's probably not what you're going to be thinking, but here it is. As a kingdom member, you are responsible to seek God. You are responsible to pursue after him, to search for him, to seek for him. There are literally tens and tens and tens of verses in your Bible about seeking God. Here's just a few. Without faith, and this is my favorite, I know you know that. Without faith, we can't please God because the one who comes to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I've told you this many times, that faith is equated in some way with, with seeking after God. It's believing that God exists, but it also includes this idea of seeking after God. It's God's expectation. Here are some more verses. Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Amos chapter 5, verse 4. For the Lord says to the house of Israel, seek me and live. The psalmist says in 105, honor his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face always. The prophets, Isaiah says this in chapter 55, seek the Lord while he may be found, call on him while he's near. Jesus said, Matthew 6, seek first, doesn't say God, he says seek first the kingdom of God, which I believe, you know, we've said the kingdom of God is the king, and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. So now if you're tracking with me, and I hope you are, if you're tracking with me, then what's bubbling to the surface in your thinking are two thoughts. One of them is this, well, what does it mean to seek the Lord? You just got through saying, Jimmy, our greatest responsibility is to seek the Lord. What does that mean? And the other question that ought to be surfacing is, okay, I'm not sure what it means, but after I know what it means, how do I do it? How do I seek the Lord? So that's what I want to do. And the rest of my time, which isn't going to be all that long, so you got to stay with me, okay? <laughs> stay with me. I, I, want to, I want to answer those two questions. What does it mean to seek the Lord? And then how do I do it? All right? Because this is, I think, our greatest responsibility. So seek the Lord. What does it mean? The Hebrew word for seek there, um, and I'm not going to try to pronounce it because Hebrew never was very good at that at all, but, but the word it carries the idea of seeking with an intensity sort of like as if you lost your kid at the mall. I remember we lost our kid in the fair, and I can still, rem- I can still remember the terror of searching for my son and thinking somebody had kidnapped him, right? So that's the kind of intensity with which it says to seek the Lord. But, but we're not trying to find out where God is, okay? We know where God is. We're not trying to find out where God is. So what does he mean? Here's what he means. When he says seek the Lord, he's talking about seek, seek him for who he is. Seek to find out who he is. Not where he is, but who he is. So when the Bible says seek the Lord, It's saying, seek to know God. Seek to know who he is. Now, God is not far from us. In in the book of Acts, remember Paul is on the Areopagus there in in Athens, and he's talking to all the philosophers of his day. And one of the things he says to them, he says, hey, listen, God is not far from any one of us. In fact, it's in him that we live and move and have our being. He's not far from any one of us. C.S. Lewis used to say about this seeking after God, and listen to what he said. He said uh, in his conversion, I became aware that with regard to pursuing God, I became aware that I was holding something at bay or shutting something out. I could open the door or keep it shut. I could unbuckle the armor or keep it on. I, could, I chose to open, to unbuckle, to loosen the rein. In other words, he said, it wasn't so much about me seeking after God, it was God seeking after me. 
And instead of holding him at bay, instead of keeping God out, I opened up and let God in. So really when I'm talking about seeking after, seeking to know God, I'm telling you, it's seeking to know a God who really wants to know you, who really is seeking after, seeking after you. And I think we find that throughout the New Testament, don't we? Jesus said, I've come to seek you. I've come to, I've come to find you. I've come after you. So it's not like God is so hidden from us. We just got to go searching under boxes or whatever. No, but, but we still nonetheless have this responsibility to seek, to know who God is. So, so I think that's our greatest responsibility, seek to know who God is. Now the question, the second question is, how do I do that? And so this morning, I want to share with you five means, and I know it sounds like a long time, but I want to share with you five means to seek the Lord. And man, I'm hoping you're going to be so encouraged by this and so motivated. But, but here's, my, here's what the, the five things that I, I wrote down and, 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 and honed. There was more at first, and I honed them down to these five. So here we are. Here's the first one. To seek to know God, you've got to actively, hum, got to actively humble your heart before him. And, and this, you know, some of the things I'm going to share with you, they're going to be practical, hands-on, do this kind of thing, right? And this is not that. This is not a hands-on sort of thing. This is a heart attitude. This is a, this is a conviction. This is a way of thinking that I really want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to this idea that you need to know the Lord. And if you're going to seek to know God, you've got to first come to this conclusion that you need to know the Lord, that you need to daily, consistently, regularly acknowledge that you need the Lord. Our, our tendency in our heart is to be self-sufficient, that we don't need anyone. One of the great virtues of the Western man is that he is a self-made man, I mean, I mean, we pride ourselves, men, don't we, in being a self-made man, pulling myself up by my own bootstraps. I didn't need any help. I did this all on my own. Here's, here's what I'm challenging. If you want to seek the Lord, you've got to reject that. And you've got to say in my heart, God, I humbly need you. I need you every day. I need to know you more than anything else. Jesus told a story. Remember this story? And uh, these two men come to pray, and, he, and he, he talks about one guy, and he comes to pray, and that guy begins to pray like this, oh, Lord, man, I'm so good. I'm so wonderful. And you see that guy over there, God, I'm so much better than him. And the guy over there who's praying won't even lift his eyes up to God. He says, God, man, I've really blown it. I, I really have failed you. I'm a sinner. I'm not worthy to be here. And then Jesus says, which of those two dudes goes away justified before God? And the answer, you know, is shocks everyone because this, this guy here, he's the guy that as far as, as far as people are concerned, he's got it together. But Jesus says, no, that guy over there, the guy who is humble of heart, the guy who recognizes his need of God, he's the one who goes home justified. Beloved, listen, if we're going to seek to know the Lord, we've got to humble ourselves. Here's what, here's what James said. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. He lets you know him. Peter says something similar. He says, all of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. How do I seek God? I recognize that I need him. I recognize that I'm nothing without him. I recognize that I want to know him above everything else and, and that my life is but a whisper of smoke and without him, I, I have no future. I have nothing without him. 
You know, I guess y'all saw that Kirk Douglas died this week at 103 years of age. Anybody probably over 40 or 50 knows who Kirk is. I bet you some of you young people don't even know who he is. You might know who Michael is, but Michael Douglas, but I don't know if you know who Kirk is. You've probably never seen a movie with him. Gracie says she has. Anyway, um, you know, he's 103. Despite all of his accolades, you know, a generation from now or so, man, nobody will know him. Two generations from now, nobody will know him. His kids will remember, but even, the, the, even his children. I mean, everything we have now, apart from God giving us life beyond this, it's a, it's a wisp, it's a vapor, and it's gone. Number two, here's the second way. Seek, to, seek God to seek God, I must make talking to him. Here's how you seek him. You talk to him. You make talking to him a regular part of your life. Now, one of my newest friends is named Brian. Probably most of y'all don't know Brian. Up until recently, I only know what he looked like and I, and I knew his name, right? But this past week or so, we've spent a lot of time together and we've been talking and I've learned some things about Brian by talking to him. He's a contractor. He's, he's retired now. He, uh, he has a firefighting daughter who just graduated, I think, from fire school. And uh, you know what? I've gotten to know Brian better because we've just spent time talking. How do you seek to know God? You spend time talking with him. Now, sitting over here is George Huber on the front row. I've known him for 33 years. See, I know more about, about George than I do Brian. I know about his likes and his dislikes, his pet peeves and his great pleasures. I, I know all kinds of things about George because we've spent 33 years talking I've gotten to know both of these men by talking. You, we get to know each other by talking. Jesus got up every morning and spent time talking to God. Here's my point. You want to get to know God? You've got to talk to him. You've got to spend time talking to God. Now, again, you're tracking with me, and you say, yeah, I, I get it, Jimmy. But, you know, when you're talking to George, he talks back. When you're talking to Brian, he talks back. But when you're talking to God, he just listens, and you talk. And um, maybe that's true. I mean, I, I'm not going to deny that it's, it's not the kind of conversation that we have physically with one another. I'm not sure how it works. I really don't. But I know this, that when I, when I talk, he listens and he gives me hope. When I talk, he listens and he lets me know he understands. I, I, I remember that big heartbreak in my life, right? He let me know. He understood. And, and it changed my life one day when he told me, it's okay, Jimmy, I understand. As, as, he, as he listens, he lets me know I'm not alone. He lets me know I am loved. And you're saying, Jimmy, that's balderdash. That's not true. All I can say to you, listen, if you've never tried it, try it. Try just talking to God and see if God doesn't let you get... To, I don't know how it works, but see if you don't get to know God by just talking to him. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't worry about anything, but in everything through talking to God and asking him with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Number three, you seek to know God by understanding what the Bible says about him. So the way that God chose so that we could know him the best was he came personally. Seriously, that's what he did. He came personally. The prophet said, hey, in the past God spoke through prophets, but now he's come here personally in Jesus. So you want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. And that's, that's what he says. But you know what? We don't get to walk with Jesus. He came. He lived. He was born. He lived. He died. He rose again. And now he sits 
with God the Father waiting for the day of his return. So, I mean, I missed it. I, was, I, didn't, I wasn't there. I didn't get to walk with him like that. So how do I know about Jesus? Well, I know about him by what he wrote down in this book, what we call his book. And, and that book tells me an awful lot about Jesus, and I get to know Jesus by reading and studying that book. Just this past week, week I finished the, the Tattooist of Auschwitz. And it's a biographical novel, and uh, I, I had n- I've never met uh, Lale or L- Lyle, not Lale, <laughs> I'm not sure how you say his name, but, uh, but you want to know something? I know something about him. I know something about him today, even though I never met him. He survived the Nazis. Uh, he was married to Gita. He had a son. He loved life. He, he really tried to make it through the camp. Um, I know something about his character, his willingness to to give of himself to help meet the needs of others. I know all that because I read about it in the book. Now, I grant you, reading that book's not like sitting down with, uh, with Lale. It, was, it wouldn't be like sitting down talking to him. The author of that book, she got to sit down with him. I, I envy her the three years that she sat down and got to just talk with him and all. You know, I, I get it. You know, reading the Bible is not exactly the same as sitting down with Jesus, but it's, you know, when I read, read his book, I get to learn about him. I get to learn about Jesus, and I get to know God better. And um, this is practical, everyone. This is not, I'm not asking you to philosophically accept something. I'm not asking you to have this attitude. I'm asking you to do something here. And one of them is to talk to God, and the other is to read his book so that you get to know him better. John says, John the Apostle said, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book talking about what he wrote down. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, that, and by believing in him, you might have life in his name. And, and he doesn't say this, but this is what he means. I've written these things down so that you might know Jesus so that you might believe that he is the Messiah, right, the, the, the king. Luke says something similar. Many have undertook to compile a narrative about the events that have been ful- uh, fulfilled among us, just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us. It also seemed good to me, since I have carefully investigated everything from the very first, to write to you in order, in a sequential order, most honorable Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things which you have been instructed. In other words, Luke says, I'm, I'm writing what I'm writing so that you might know God, so that you might know him better. I tell you, everyone, and I'm not just talking about reading your Bible, study your Bible, been following Jesus for over 40 years. I feel like the last five to 10 years, I've learned more about God than I did in the first 30. So I really want to encourage you, don't ever stop reading your Bible and studying your Bibles and, and learning and getting to know and seeking God through his book. Number four, you get to know God by faithfulness and repentance. And I'm, I'm hurting. When, when I, what I mean here is that we know God by obedience and by turning back when we fall. Here's what John says in one of his letters. This is how we know, we, that we've, that we know him, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I've come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commandments is a liar. The truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word truly in him, the love of God has been made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should je- walk just as he walked. And Jesus said something similar to this, correlating obedience and knowing God. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we did this, we prophesied, we drove out demons in your name, we did miracles in your name, and then I'll announce them, I never knew you, depart from me, you who break the law. And, and maybe the idea here is that the, the, the heart that doesn't obey God, maybe God's not going to reveal himself to that person. 
In other words, remember, the, the, the kingdom of God is about the responsibility that I'm suggesting is that we seek to know God. Maybe obedience and faithfulness, maybe God doesn't let you get to know him if your heart is not one of pursuing him. And listen, I am not talking about sinless perfection. God knows we are sinful. God knows we're going to fall. And, you know, I'm talking about a heart, though, that says, God, I want to turn from my failures and I want to pursue after you. And then the final one. We get to know God when we seek him together. Now, I don't, I don't want you to feel like I'm manipulating you here this morning because I promise you I am not. This is what God put on my heart. You know, and I'm challenging us. What is the responsibility of the, of the citizens of the kingdom of God? So here it is. It is to pursue God together. I mean, I, I think you should individually pursue God but I'm telling you, if we're going to get to know God, we've got to sue, pursue him together. And, you know, I'm here's what I'm challenging you to do. I'm challenging you to reject your, your Western individualism. I'm challenging you to reject it, to turn away from it, and cleave to community. Because the Bible says there's no such thing as this lone ranger person who follows after God on his own. In fact, I have never known, this is the truth, I've never known a spiritually mature person who is making any kind of difference in the world who's trying to do this all by themselves or not, in, not doing it with other brothers and sisters in community. I know the song says, though none go with me, I still remember that. No, none go with me. Hey, listen, if none will go with you, yeah, you follow on your own. But, but it shouldn't be, though none go with me. It should be, we're all in this together. Let's go together to get to know God. Listen to the first church, Acts chapter 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. There's that Bible reading. And to the fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayers. There's a talking to God. And, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were, were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had a need, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their numbers. I hope you caught that. They were doing the same things that I'm telling us. This is how we get to know God. They're doing all of those things. This is how we seek God. They're doing them. They're reading their Bibles together. They're humbling their hearts before the Lord, knowing that they need them. They're, they're talking to God. They're doing everything that I'm, I feel like I'm challenging us to do today. But, but did you notice that they're doing it all together? Did you notice that? That they're together in the temple, they're together in their homes, they're breaking bread. And not only that, but they're so together that if Jamie and Nancy have a need, I'm going to meet it. I, because they're part of my life. And, and my, my excess meets their wants. And that's how it's supposed to work in, in this family that we are. Because Jesus, why do we need community? Have you ever thought about that? Why do we need community? Because the Bible says that we're Jesus with skin on. Seriously, I mean, he's returned back to heaven and Jeremy, you're Jesus with skin on. At least that's what you're supposed to be, right? And so what that means is that when I'm in community with Jeremy, then Jeremy is, is he's Jesus to me. And, and so we, we're Jesus to one another. We get to see God at operation through each other's lives. And, and, and we just, we help one another know God together. I get to know God better when I encounter him in you. And so it's, this is why God says, don't forsake Getting together. Don't, don't do that. 
No, I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're all here on a Sunday morning. So you've all said, hey, no, I'm choosing this, right? But, but let me reinforce it for you. This is why this is not optional for you. This is why you shouldn't make this, oh, is it ball or is it gathering with God's people? Is it, uh, is it the cinema or is it gathering with God's people? I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to manipulate you. I'm really trying to be true to the scriptures, trying to be true to what God says. This is why you don't forsake gathering, you know? This is why you make this a priority in, in your life. Loving God, knowing God, seeking God, it's not something that we were meant to do alone. I have this in my notes. I don't know whether to say it or not. Unfortunately, it seems to me that the body of Christ is losing ground on this. Maybe it's because there's so much entertainment today. Maybe you go back a generation, not that, we, not that a generation or two ago people were more spiritual. There just wasn't as much to do. And so this became our social outlet, right? And so maybe that's why we chose being, being together because this is where we did, this is how we got to, this is, where we, this is where we did social, right? But now there's so many opportunities to be social somewhere else. You don't have to choose this. It seems like we're losing ground. They say today that faithfulness to the body of Christ is measured in once a month being a part of the gathering. <laughs> how, how sad is that? I, I just don't think that's how we get to know God. So there you have it. As citizens, we have rights or blessings and we have responsibilities. The blessings, God's presence. God's power, God's promises, and specifically this promise. And then, then responsibility. I've highlighted only one, to seek to know God, and I gave us several suggestions on, uh, on how to do that. Let me ask you a question. When, when I started, I said I'm only going to give you one, and I think it's the most important one. Were, were any of you surprised that I didn't say, that I didn't come and say, no, that one is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind? Did anybody think that? My wife did. We were sitting there talking, and I was telling her my outline, and she said, oh, I know what it is. It's to love God with all your heart, soul, and I said, no, I didn't choose that one. And maybe you're surprised I didn't choose that one. Maybe you're wondering why I didn't choose that, because Jesus says that's the greatest commandment, right? To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Here's, here's why I didn't choose that, because I think that's right, but I think what seeking God is, I mean, what loving God is, it's seeking him. In other words, we've got to step back from this idea, which we step into real easily, that love is this emotional feeling I feel for God. And I love the songs, Michael, and, and I love the songs our praise team is doing. They emotionally draw me out. They, they cause my heart to want to love God more. I mean, I, I'm, I'm all into emotional love. I think it's wonderful that we love God emotionally. But, but you know what? At the core, love does. Love's a verb. Love's a choice we make to seek God. So you know when I chose seeking God as your primary responsibility, it was just maybe the more honest way of saying this is what it means to love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. Let's pray. Father, thank you for inviting us to be a part of your kingdom. And man, we're just so excited Lord, about the kingdom to come. We're, we're grateful that we are the kingdom today. Lord, we're not, we're not going to be the kingdom tomorrow. We are the kingdom today. And indeed, like uh, Dr. McCoy said, you know, our, our job is to, if you would, bring the kingdom of God on earth today, Lord, to pray for the, the will of God to be done on earth, even as it is in heaven, and to be agents of transformation and change and righteousness and holiness in our world today. 
We are to be examples of loving people and showing kindness and being like Jesus was. And so, Lord, help us to, you know, as citizens of the kingdom, Lord, help us to, you know, transform the world around us. But, Lord, thank you for the promises that are ours as, as part of, as citizens of your kingdom. And thank you, Father, for, uh, for this, this responsibility that you've given us to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Lord, we pray that that might materialize into us seeking you all the days of our life, seeking to know you, to love you, to follow you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Thank you.